This week, I've had multiple conversations where people have raised the question and asked, just who is behind this global coordination when it comes to policies regarding lockdowns or vaccine passports, mandatory vaccinations, and media censorship? Who's who's really behind it all and who stands to profit and unto what ends? Also, in today's episode, we talk about how history never talks about quitters. But this isn't history. This is pop culture. Pop culture loves a good quitter. They love someone who's falling off the map into obscurity and with their last dying gasp of air, they reach up from the grave and say, I protest, fill in the blank. But today, instead of focusing only on those who are gasping from their, from their last breath from their graves, to protest something in order for a quick buck, we're going to focus on people who truly deserve to be celebrated. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 246, August 4th, 2021. And I would be amiss to go through this Olympic season without mentioning the Olympics at least once. I'll be honest. I have not been watching the Olympics. I probably would enjoy it, but I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. But history doesn't have time for quitters, but pop media, pop culture really does. Why? Because a good quitter, a good grandstanding protester, they can steal the limelight, stir up a lot of great controversy, and we all know that controversy drives clicks, trip clicks, drive eyeballs, eyeballs drive dollars. And if you are sponsoring one of these athletes, you are going to be glad that they stood up and shouted from the top of their lungs as they maybe missed the medal stand or barely made the medal stand because then they get recognition where they would otherwise probably be forgotten. And if they get recognition, then the little boys and little girls across the world are going to be seeing your logo. So it, it all makes sense. It, it, there is a lot of incentives to become a, a good protester for a, a morally superior cause. Take American football player, for instance, Colin Kaepernick. He was the second round draft pick 36th overall for the San Francisco 49ers back in 2011. He led the team to Super Bowl in Super Bowl 47. That was 2012. And the NFC Championship game the next season. After that, he started to slip into obscurity. 2016 rolled around, and he ends up as a backup quarterback. Now, going from stardom, to a backup quarterback, eh, that is not a good career path. That, that is, it is curtains for you soon. The limelight is off you. People are quickly forgetting your name. And eh, obscurity is about to pounce upon you. So what does one do? Well, they protest the national anthem. They take a knee disrespect their country, their flag, and they protest racism. And overnight, that limelight is back. He's been able to quit football 
and go on and probably make more money outside of football than inside of football. All why? Because he decided to protest. His name got heard and will now be remembered all because he took that knee. Or take, for example, Gwen Berry, the track and field hammer thrower star. And, and uh, not star, she's not the star. She placed third at the Olympic trials, the U.S. trials. She placed third. And while she was receiving her medal, the American anthem was playing. She turned her back to the flag and put a shirt over her head in protest against America and the national anthem, stealing the limelight from the first and second place winners. And at the same time, drawing attention to herself. I mean, if if she hadn't done that, I don't think anyone, I mean, I, I totally forgot that hammer throw was even a thing at the Olympics. I, I, I mean, who who was going online? I mean, I'm sure someone is, but who was going online and says, who placed third at the uh, Olympic trials for hammer throw? No one, we all know that first place gets the lion's share. If you are not in first place, you are missing out on the majority of the pie, whether that's the New York Times bestseller, whether that's being a, a, a billboard hit, whether that's being whatever, any and anything in life, if you are first, you're getting the lion's share. All those other places, they really don't mean that much. So how do you continue to capitalize? How do you use your platform for a good cause that also enables you and your name to be remembered and to propagate your, your financial success for many decades after your 15 minutes of fame. Well, protesting is the best way. Well, don't be fooled, though not all Americans hate America. Uh, there are actually some people, surprisingly, who still love America. Now, right now, in America, the, the narrative, if, if you're not in America, I'm, sh I'm sure all of you know this right now, the narrative is America is a bad place. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be proud of your nation. It's horrible to be proud of your nation. And especially if you're a person of color, you're pretty much living in uh, an institutional slavery still. Uh, so here's this next clip by Tamara Mensa Stock, who won gold, gold medal in wrestling in Tokyo for the United States. Here's Tamara showing her gratitude and expressing her joy for being able to represent the horrible, wicked United States of America. Of course I surprise myself. It's by the grace of God I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does, and I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And Pause first. Notice, it's the hard work. What got her there? It was her hard work, her, all the work that she got put through. That was the thing that enabled her. Meritocracy, something that we are quickly forgetting in uh, this generation. Hard work pays off. And I'm, I'm excited to see what, 
what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love well, it. Well said. Congratulations. Enjoy that gold, and we'll see you out there on the podium, okay? Thank you. I'll try not to cry, but no problem. <laughs> I love this clip. She's so, she's so, rightly should be. She's so happy. And I love seeing, I love seeing someone have a patriotic love for their country. Now, it is good and it's right that you should be able to criticize your country. You should be able to look at whether it's your country or your faith or your family or yourself. And, and you can see your defects, you see your flaws, and you can say, ah, those things here. These things in my own personal life, I missed it here, missed it here, missed it here. Here's the ideal I want to live up to. I'm going to confess my shortcomings, look at it, not just say that it doesn't exist, but then I'm going to work to live up to a higher ideal. While at the same time, you can still love your nation. You can love your nation. You can love your faith while still being able to criticize it. You can love your family or your parents or... or, or, or or yourself, while still being able to admit that there are areas that we need to work on. And that goes for every country across the globe. But there is something that that is good and right about a healthy level of patriotism for whatever nation or culture you are from. And I just love seeing that here, especially in a time where where people are taught to not love your nation, to not love your heritage, to not love your background. Well, at the Olympics, there were two other, I'm sure there's more, but there's at least two other people who decided to protest. Now, if you remember Gwen Berry, who did qualify for the Olympics, she said that if she had made the medal stand that she was going to protest despite the Olympic uh, regulations, she did not make the medal stand, so I guess she won't be able to uh, protest. The, the U.S. women's soccer team, if you remember, they took a knee and protested uh, the national anthem before their game. Well, they're out of the running for a gold medal. They lost to Canada, and they also lost to uh, Sweden, I believe. And uh, that was quite laughable. But here's a not-so-American-centric story. There is a young man named Mohammed Abdul Rasul, who is Sudanese. Now, Sudan has said that they are going to move to normalize relationships with Israel. They have not done so yet. But in protest and in the boycotting of Israel and re the rejection of the normalization of Israel— Mohammed decided to not show up for his fight, his judo fight, against an Israeli competitor. Another competitor, Algerian Fatih Noreen, he decided as well not to fight against an Israeli competitor in judo. Both have been sent home for breaking the, the code of sportsman-like conduct. And... It, there's there's two sides of, of me in this. The one side is that there could have been, probably was, 
if not an enormous amount of state pressure, because there could have been state pressure where the government is saying, you are not, do not compete, do not normalize uh, this relationship with an Israeli competitor. That could have been as this happened in the past, which we're about to talk about. But there's also probably an enormous amount of peer pressure. I, I know people who have decided to take very meek stances for for Israel or meek stances even saying, hey, I, I don't think the total genocide, which is the, the call of the from the river to the sea, Israel be, be free. I don't think that that's a good idea. I believe that we can make peace somehow. But many people don't want to make peace. And so even if you're taking some of those small stances here in the Middle East, you can face a lot of backlash. Now, that's not everyone, which we will see as well. And we are beginning to see with the UAE even normalizing relationships with Israel uh, and uh, Bahrain even in the GCC normalizing relationships with Israel. So this is changing. It is not everyone. I, I, I hate to paint everyone with a broad stroke, but these two gentlemen have both said that they are protesting for the sake of Palestine. And if if it's not just peer pressure and they're doing it against their will, then I would say, wow, there's probably a tremendous upside for them. I mean, what are you going to get? You're going to get fifth, seventh place. We don't really know what, what places they would have gotten if they were to continue to compete, but it was, it was not likely that they were going to be on the medal stand. So if you're not on the medal stand and you're not first, you're not getting the lion's share, it makes sense that you can then become a victim, you can protest something and capitalize on that for years to come. I'm not saying that is 100% the case, but it, uh, it definitely could be. Well, who should, who should be celebrated? Who should be remembered? Well, I think uh, Iranian Saeed Mulai, he, in 2019, was told by his government that he was not permitted, not allowed to face his competitor, his Israeli competitor in judo. And if he did, he would face consequences. Here is Saeed. Man, he says, I could have been the world champion today because of the law in my country and the prudence that it requires. I was obliged not to fight against my Israeli opponent. This is the law. Today, the National Olympic Committee of Iran and the sports minister told me not to compete. Again, this is back in 2019. They, they rang me and wanted me not to compete. I asked why. They said, this is the law, and those who do not comply with it will certainly have problems. I was afraid for myself and my family, so I did not compete. I followed the law, and I didn't compete. What he ended up doing was he faced his final competitor before, and if he beat that competitor, he would have ended up having to face an Israeli competitor. So he threw the match. He threw the match, and he ended up placing 
third, I believe, or fourth. He didn't he didn't medal because if he threw the match, he would have placed uh, third or fourth in this uh, Olympic Games back in 2019, uh, uh, prelim games. And he then ended up defecting. He defected to Germany because he was afraid to go back to Iran because he called out the Iranian government to force him to not compete. Well, after going to Egypt and getting, or not Egypt, excuse me, after going to Germany and getting asylum in Germany, he was then able to join the Moroccan team and he trained. He actually, he just represented Morocco, not Morocco. Oh my goodness. Mongolia. What am I saying? He joined the Mongolian team, but he trained with the Israel national judo team ahead of the Olympics. And because of that, he dedicated his silver medal to Israel. He said, thank you, Israel, for the good energy. This medal is dedicated to you, Israel. Now that is true sportsmanship. When you're faced with being kicked out because you couldn't face an Israeli counterpart, and then you decided to train with them, and in your winning, despite the cultural lashback that he could get, he decides to dedicate a medal to a, a nation that that supported him even when his culture doesn't support that nation by and large or a a political fa- faction I should say a political faction of uh, of the region does not support the existence of an Israeli state that takes that takes courage another another act of courage was a young Saudi woman Tahani El Qahtani she is also a judo fighter. She started fighting from a young age in, in college, 20. And when she had to face an Israeli competitor, she faced an enormous amount of pressure. They were told, don't face this competitor, don't fight, don't normalize. But as I said, we are seeing a, a healthy trend in the region of a warming up and normalization of relationships. And this example of a Saudi competitor fighting against an Israeli competitor is one of those signs. And she decided to fight even though she lost 11 points to zero. That I believe is a true sign of sportsmanship. There could have been a tremendous upside by withdrawing, especially if she knew that she was facing someone who was better than her. So why face the humiliation of a hard loss? But I commend Tahani in this, I think that is a, such an honorable thing to do, especially in the face of so much criticism, in the face of possibly being canceled uh, by friends and family and, and probably receiving a whole lot of hate on social media. But the Olympics is a place that we can come together and unify as a world to, to look each other in the eye and not have to see our ethnicities, but we can celebrate our nationalities. We can celebrate our different cultures while at the same time remembering and accepting that we are all one race. There's not multiple races. There is the human race. And that I think is something that's beautiful, even though that might be being lost currently in this, in this cultural moment of, of 
what seems to be real divisiveness in culture across the globe when it comes to uh, ethnicities or when it comes to nationality or comes to the color of people's skin as our, the lens that is being put on society is continuing to push towards one of power rather than one of meritocracy. Well, other weird things are happening this week across the globe. As I said, people are asking, who is, who is driving all of these uh, agendas when it comes to the, the globalization and the harmonization across multiple, many nations when it comes to the response of COVID-19, even though there's a lot of conflicting data, there is other science and studies that are put out there. When it's put out there or people talk about studies that go against the, the, the political norm or goes against the, the agenda that is being pushed when it comes to vaccine passports, uh, efficacies of vaccines, or the efficacy of lockdowns or masks, if you push against that, you're being silenced. Now, I, it's not about this segment right here. It's not about whether you agree or disagree with a vaccine or whether you agree or disagree with the efficacy of lockdowns or masks in as much as why is it that there is such a censorship and a, label, a labeling of misinformation Along things that not is misinformation, but when it goes against the information that has been decided that this is the norms, this is the path that we are taking, and anything that might question this mode of operation is going to be labeled and silenced. It's going to be labeled as misinformation and silenced. Well, Sky News Australia, Sky News is not just a, a, a rando, you know, <laughs> Or rando quote unquote fake news source that's making stuff up. It's a it's an actual news source. Well, they were they were suspended from YouTube this week because they were quoting studies out of Harvard and out of Oxford. Here is Alan Jones from Fox News Australia. As you know, we've been shut down on YouTube. I'm not going to make any comment or any judgments about that, except to say this. The challenge to free speech is real. We don't seem to have a leader anywhere to defend it. You won't be cancelled if you're on the left. If you're on the common sense centre-right, look out, they're after you. Believe me, I know. Those of you who are regular viewers will know that whether it's Chris Kenny, Peter Credlin, Andrew Bolt, Rita Panahai, Paul Murray or Corey Badardi, our material is researched. The only thing is... You're apparently not allowed to quote experts from Oxford, Stanford, Harvard or Yale universities who disagree with some of the rubbish being said. And that to me is, is shocking. You're not able to, you're not able to quote research from established universities, established hubs, of well-respected hubs of research like Oxford or Harvard, if it goes against the agenda. And this is why people are raising questions. This is why people are alarmed. It's not so much that I'm anti, you know, quote unquote, I don't like this because I'm anti-vax. Well, I don't like this because, you know, I'm, I'm her. It's not about that. It's not about the, the vaccine or not the vaccine. It's about why are we not able to have free and open 
dialogue and communication around this on these platforms. Why are these platforms censoring this, but not censoring other things that is also clearly, clearly, actually misinformation, like the president of the United States. Remember I showed you here Joe Biden telling a town hall audience that if you're vaccinated, you won't get coronavirus. That's not correct. Was he fact-checked? Listen to this. The, vi- the, the, the various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Goes all around the world, and he's wrong. And he's wrong. What, what, is that being fact-checked? Is that being taken off of social media? Is that being flagged on YouTube? Is the White House being suspended on, on YouTube for that clip? Doesn't seem like it. Now, Israel, they have reinstated that even if you are fully vaccinated, even if you are fully vaccinated and you come to Israel, you still have to do a mandatory eight-day quarantine. What does that tell you about these governments' actual belief of the the efficacy of these vaccines in their, their ability to stop people from spreading the virus? Maybe, maybe you're not going to get it as much. Maybe, or have a higher chance of getting it. Maybe your case will actually be less. But the CDC came out with a leaked study that came out and said, it said that, well, people who are vaccinated have the same viral load as people who aren't vaccinated and are able to spread it just as easily. And now we're we're seeing nations taking that into account and saying, well, you could be fully vaccinated, come over, still have the virus and still be spreading it. Therefore, you need to lock down. I have a friend here in the Middle East, him and I were talking, and he said all of his friends all of his friends who got vaccinated, after they got vaccinated, they got COVID. All of them. Now, that might be antidotal data. That's not a double-blind study. But it is, it, it, it does make one say, wait a minute, I thought that a vaccine was so that you wouldn't be able to get this. Now, of course, the, the, the mRNA vaccines, the way that they work is different than a traditional vaccine. Many would say that it's not even a vaccine. And the the, the arguments on the, the pro-vaccine side that I've heard, I'm sure you've heard as well, is that, well, you won't get it as bad or you, your chances are reduced. It's not 100% effective. Well, the, the steps that Australia is taking is very different than a place maybe like Singapore. Singapore has said, we, we have come to accept the reality that we now live in, which is that COVID-19 is going to be a part of our world, just like the flu is a part of our world. We're not locking down borders because of the flu. So we're not going to lock everything down. We're not going to kill our economy because of COVID. They have accepted we are never going to get to COVID zero. But there are places like in Australia where that is the goal. COVID zero is the ultimate goal. Here is uh, uh, reports from what is happening right now down under. The Australian army will take to Sydney streets 
assisting police in locking down two million residents in COVID hotspot suburbs. The police commissioner calling the Prime Minister for help after Sydney's worst single day since the pandemic began. 239 infections were recorded, at least 66 were infectious in the community. And tragically, there were two more deaths. As I said, the, the number 200 some odd cases doesn't seem like a whole lot to me in a, a metropolitan city like Sydney. But when, you're, when your mindset is we must get to zero cases, that is the goal, zero cases, then it would make sense that if there are any sorts of rising cases, you're going to shut everything down. You're going to de deploy the military. You're, you're going to more or less establish martial law in your democratic city to control this because your goal is <laughs> your goal is COVID zero and your, your methodology is authoritarianism. The Premier announcing a crackdown on those spreading the virus by doing the wrong thing with fines beefed up for not wearing masks and even stricter rules in the eight hotspot council areas. At Liverpool train station. Oi, oi. Police make their presence felt. Thousands more officers deployed in the southwest, in Campbelltown and in Bankstown. A new COVID crackdown. We are seeing non-compliance at a level that's impacting on the virus. The commissioner enlisting the army for support. If we had to use them, absolutely, I would call out. Formally requesting 300 troops late this afternoon. In Melbourne, they were used at checkpoints, patrolled streets and door-knocked homes. They assisted with compliance. They actually provided confidence. From midnight, residents in all areas of concern can only travel five kilometres from home and must wear masks outdoors. One of the biggest problems, people visiting other households. Officers will come knocking. And not random, but certainly targeted from complaints through Crime Stoppers. We are now getting tens of thousands of people reporting breaches through Crime Stoppers. Across all of Sydney, police have new powers to shut down businesses, construction sites and public spaces where there's a risk to public health. We wonder, well, how could this, possi how could this possibly happen? How could a democratic society be totally okay with, uh, with their, their society being shut down, with their businesses being able to be shut down by police, with martial law in a city when there is 200 cases, how, how, is, how is society okay with that? How, how, why aren't people standing up and saying something? Well, one, people are standing up and saying something. There have been protests across, whether it's the UK or France or, or, or Greece and Italy, uh, protests across Australia. I believe 100 were arrested over this last week in protests against these lockdowns in Australia. But if you notice in this clip, they're saying tens of thousands of people are calling in and reporting on their neighbor, saying, hello, hello, Mr. Hello, Mr. Police Officer. Yes, my neighbor, they have some people over. They're having a Barbie. You know, go over and arrest them. Give them a fine. This is how it's happening. It's, it's society is accepting it and embracing it and, and letting it go forward. So who is, who is behind it? Well, in many ways, it, and this is the, the least um, conspiratorial thing, it's the general public. 
because people are afraid. People are afraid and we're listening to the media. The media is telling us what to think. And so we're going along with it and we don't have time. We don't have time to think about what other course of action there might be. And this is what we talked about in the previous episode, in episode 245, where when there are are viral infections and infectious diseases, people tend to become more conservative. They stay in their house, they stay close to their social circle, and they want more walls. They want more restrictions on society because we are afraid and we want to self-preserve. That is the the non-conspiratorial viewpoint on this. Well, (laughs) this week also, a leading uh, advisor for the Biden administration, the top Biden COVID administration on CNN regarding masks. Now, remember, in Australia right now, if you're not wearing a mask outdoors, vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's a $500 fine. But this is what the, the Biden administration is saying about masking. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. We need to talk about better masking. We need to. Well, there it is. I I thought people have been saying this for months, months and months and months. We've been saying like, wait a minute. It's if you wear your mask properly or you're wearing an N95 mask, then yes, that is going to help you. But the moment that you touch it, you fiddle with it, you move it off your nose, you pull it over your your face, or you reuse a mask, or you touch your mask and then touch something else, it is no longer effective. We've been saying this. I've been saying this. So many other people have been saying this. And I think in many ways, we all know it. We all know that unless you're hacking up a storm, if, if you're somewhere and you're coughing, 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 and your your spit is going everywhere, then sure, it's probably a mask is going to help a little bit. But the moment you touch it and then touch the surface, well, now it stops helping. And we can, we see the steam going up and fogging up my glasses every time I breathe wearing one of these masks. We, 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 we are intelligent enough to know that that steam is going into the air and going around someone else's mask and into their mouth and into their lungs. And then finally, here, here's the truth. The masking that we have, it's not enough. It's not doing anything. The homemade cloth masks, they're not doing anything. So either we can stop playing the charade and do away with the mask, or we're going to need like actual heavy-duty masks, which I certainly don't want on my face. I, I don't like the little cloth ones as it is. But if at least let's be consistent. Like, at least let's be consistent. So who has what to gain? Who is behind all this? Well, I, I mean, clearly, I don't know. If uh, I did know, I would be, um, <laughs> I would not be, I would be a much more popular person and probably in the throes of those powerful, powerful people in society. I don't know for sure who controls everything. I, I definitely believe that there are, dark spiritual forces that are are pushing uh, these ideologies and empowering these ideologies, um, these ideas of controlling society, these ideas of authoritarian, uh, draconian laws and control on people. 
just just the the psychological toll that is happening across the globe when it comes to to the mental health of people from these isolations and lockdowns, as we have talked about in the previous episode as well, uh, it, it's shocking. I, I saw one stat that said there's been fi- five times more suicides among children than death from COVID from these. And so the, the mental toll that is, is having, it's dark. It's definitely dark. Uh, so there's there's that side. I definitely believe there is a spiritual aspect at play. The ideas that are probably more conspiratorial, and I, even though a lot of people could say I, I'm pretty conspiratorial, I do my best to stay away from conspiracies. I don't think conspiracies are always very helpful. But here's something that I found was very interesting. There, when it comes to who's controlling everything, who stands to benefit, well, there are four major companies that own most of the world's businesses. The shareholders of banks like Bank of America, JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, uh, the Bank of NY Mellon, the majority shareholders all share these four corporations, these four uh, companies. First one being State Street Corporation. Second, Vanguard Group. Third, BlackRock. Fourth, Fidelity. These four huge corporations have a controlling majority in most of the world's biggest banks. They also control many banks in Europe. They also have tax dealings and tax havens in the Cayman Islands, Monaco, etc. What's even more shocking is that the U.S. Federal Reserve is comprised of 12 banks represented by seven board members, some of whom are representative of these big four groups. So in other words, State Street Corporation, Vanguard Group, BlackRock, and Fidelity, or FMR, have a controlling influence on at least the U.S. monetary policy and system. Not to mention that these big four have controlling shares or have a, a, a lot of power in companies like AT&T, Boeing, Caterpillar, Coca-Cola, DuPont, ExxonMobil, General Electrics, General Motors, HP, Home Depot, Honeywell International, Intel, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan, McDonald's, Merrick, Microsoft, 3M, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, United Technology, Verizon Communications, Walmart, Time Warner, Disney, Viacom, Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, CBS Corporation, NBC Universal. Notice, these four groups have controlling shares and a lot of incentive when it comes to the, these vaccine creators like Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson. And they are also controlling media groups. So who, who stands to, to gain what? what? What is there to gain? Well, I think, of course, money is always a driving incentive, but we also know that these people have more money than they can dream of. I think the more attractive thing that 
people have always sought after is power. Look at Alexander the Great. You looked at Octavian. You look at Genghis Khan. Uh, all these great men, Julius Caesar, who who sought to conquer the world. They were after power. It wasn't money. It wasn't riches. It was power. It was control. If you can control the world, you can, in many ways, become godlike. And currently, today. As we talked about, there is a push from libertarianism or a, a liberty worldview or mindset, and it, it's still being used. Liberals are still being used. And it's being conflated with this, but it's, been, it's turning into progressivism, as we talked about in the previous episode. It's progressivism, and progressivism says everything is, should be created. We need to orchestrate and level society so that we have equality of outcome. And progressivism is no longer built on the, the premises and the ideologies of, of liberty or liberalism, but it's based on the idea of social construction where there's an equality of outcome and it's only the best, the brightest minds. They are the ones who are able to control all of society and make sure that everyone has that equality of outcome. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense in a post-truth society where we have exchanged the truth for lies and reasons for post-modern irrationality. The absurd finally makes sense. Well, it came out from, uh, from the Lewis Silken Law Firm that ethical veganism was ruled to be a protected characteristic at the tribunal last year, meaning that employers would be at risk legally if they ordered their staff to become vaccinated. The report says that some ethical vegans may disagree with the vaccinations on the basis that they will inevitably been tested on animals. Ethical veganism has previously been found by the Employment tri Tribune in the UK to amount to a belief capable of being protected, says a spokesperson, spokesman for Lewis Silken Law Firm. Although COVID-19 vaccines don't contain anything derived from animals, they were tested on animals. So it, it, whether this not pans out to be true, it's hilarious nonetheless, because those people who are claiming religious reasons for uh, resisting a vaccine, they're being told, too bad, it doesn't matter what your, your reasons are, we have the ability to force this and mandate this on you. At least everything that I've been seeing so far, there's a lawsuit recently by a university in America where it, as it's going up the court system, They've said that the, the universities have a legal right to mandate uh, vaccinations for all their student and faculty. People are, are pursuing that in the court of law. We'll see where that lands. But here's another path, at least uh, hopefully, if there are you know, protected characteristics or belief systems, uh, you can become vegan. But if you, if you don't actually want to become vegan, as uh, Lawrence Fox Lawrence Fox came out this week to be able to, you know, get out of any forced vaccinations by having some special protection. So he came out as a 
trans-vegan. That's right, trans-vegan. And he didn't make it up. According to the Urban Dictionary, a trans-vegan is a, quote, a person or intelligent being. I think it's hilarious that you have to say intelligent being um, because maybe the, the, the intelligent being doesn't identify as a person. So a person or intelligent being who feels like a vegan, associates as a vegan, behaves and talks like a vegan, but is, is trapped in the body of a carnivore and cannot help but eat meat, denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity does not correspond with their eating habits. Mm. So I guess I might be coming out as trans-vegan as well. You know, I was, I, clearly, I can't help but eat meat, um, but really I identify as a vegan. I ask that you respect my trans-veganness. And, uh, you know, maybe this will be a way that if, <laughs> if in the future there's a mandate, at least with the current data out there, I, I've said this before, I'm not completely against ever getting a vaccine. My, my family gets vaccines. It just seems for something like this, which has lots of similarity to the flu, I don't go out and get a flu shot. So right now with the, the data that I have, I am a skeptic. And that's okay. And that's okay. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. We don't have big corporate sponsors. And so if you get value out of the show, which I'm assuming if you are this far into the episode and still listening, you get some value out of it. I ask that you consider giving value back to the show in the measure that you received value. Thousands of people turn to this show every month to help them inform, to help inform the, the arguments that are being propped up against them to undermine their worldview, their, their way of viewing the world. And we help in defending and, and researching and giving arguments to, to combat those things so that we really can own our personal agency and thereby own our future. So if you would like to support the show and essentially be a producer of the show, you can go to lucasgrobot.com and you can give your hard, cold fiat there, or you can visit uh, newpodcastingapps.com and you can click the appropriate button to find a podcast app, Podcasting 2.0 certified app, where you can stream Bitcoin, sats, and satoshis as you listen. One cent, two cent, per minute. And that's a way that I enjoy listening to podcasts because I know that I can give back to independent creators as I listen. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. Today's quote comes from Solomon. He wrote in Proverbs, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. He goes on in the next proverb to say, answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. Trans-veganism. <laughs> I mean, how... I 
the fact that that was actually a term, that someone was trans-vegan, that they identified as vegan, even though they continued to eat meat, that was something that was around at least all the way back in 2017. That seems to, to the rational human being, that seems like folly. And yet, that is, and yet it makes perfect sense to use that argument, especially in light of the cultural climate where if, if you are trans, you know, it's heaven forbid, heaven forbid um, anyone says anything against you. That's, you know, hate speech, that's discrimination. And at the same time, with the measures that are coming forth, it, it does seem like religious religious exemptions are being pushed to the race wayside, but what is being brought front and center are, are things that are built on irrational ideologies. And it is because progressivism, and we talked about this in the previous episode, it's because progressivism has, is not a, a mutation of liberalism. Progressivism isn't liberalism got further and further and further along the political spectrum and then morphed into progressivism, which is, and morphed into extreme authoritarianism, as we were talking about in the previous episode. It's not that trajectory. Progressivism has an entirely different subset of ideologies, and those ideologies comes from postmodern thought and belief where there is no reason where there is no truth, where there is no morality, where everything is merely relative, everything boils back down to power. So it's not a progression. When we look at the political spectrum from right to left, you think that, okay, the rights are conservative and they're afraid of everything that doesn't look like them. They want to control themselves and control everyone and, and order society just perfectly. But then when you move across to the, the liberal side, well, then they're, you know, free flowing and everything else. Or even if you look at the political compass, which says that on the top, you have authoritarianism and on the bottom, you have libertarianism and the, the top of the quadrants is they're trying to control everything and the bottom, it's just a free for all liberal it doesn't actually like these these scales whether they're trying to measure economics or socials or social scales or the collectivist versus individualist they they don't work if you stop and actually think through well where would this ideology fall and how do you have yourself in a place and the reason that they they don't work is because they're really not a sliding scale. They're not a connected scale where you kind of just slide from one thing to the next. This, this scale works when politics and government is your God. And there is no, there is no such thing as, as reason outside of political ideology. And we, we touched on is there, is there a possibility to, in the previous episode, is there a possibility to have a, a moral and just society without God or without divine uh, revelation or divine laws that are given by God as Thomas Aquinas uh, talks about the divine laws? And 
We hinted on, well, no, but really the answer is yes. And even Aquinas talks about that, that there are natural laws and that there are human laws. But the way that we come to these laws, like liberalism might come to these laws, is through reason. And it's through rationality that we're able to look at the world and look at our relationships and through the use of reason and the use of objective truth from the looking at nature and observing things and our conscience that is in our heart and our, our relationships is through reason that we're able to come to those conclusions of what is justice or injustice, what is truth or, or falsehood. But progressivism has, it starts from a totally different base of ideology, of belief system. It is that there is no reason, there is no truth. Whereas liberalism or, 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 or collectivist versus individual, those, those do fit on some, some sort of a spectrum. But we have to realize that when we take these presuppositions that are so far down these root systems, oftentimes they're completely and totally detached. And that's why we're seeing things like progressivism, which seems to be, which has been called liberalism that turns into authoritarianism, but it's not that at all. What's happening is it's a totally different subset of ideas that has pushed liberalism, classical liberalism, out of the picture and is superseding. But it still has that label as being liberal when really it is far from it and the objectives and the mode of operandum, operandum is not what we have considered to be liberal in the past. But going back to this quote, I, I say all of that to say, when, when we look at whether it's a protest, when we look at whether it is a, 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 a comedian coming out as a trans vegan, when, when we look at how do we how do we use communication? How do we use media? How do we use entertainment? How do we use jokes to combat this irrationality? That there are times where it's fitting not to use folly and not to respond to the folly, but to use rationality, to use reason, reason to use logic, to use truth to combat it. But also, Those in the progressive camp that has said there is no such thing as rationality, there's no such thing as reason, those are all constructs to oppress people, which is what they say. This is what the postmodernists say. It's all just power. They're not going to respond to arguments of reason because that is not the way their operating system of viewing the world works. So, what do you do? Well, <laughs> you then answer a fool, answer someone who believes there is no reason according to irrational arguments, because that's how you win the battle. And that's, and that's why I think, you know, trans veganism might just be the way to go. Another way to go to get more out of this episode, if you were already here at the end, you must have gotten some value out of it. To get more value, you can steal all of these ideas and share them with your friends. You don't even have to reference this podcast, but the way to build a stronger culture and a stronger community is by sharing 
and discussing these ideas with your friend, with your wife, with your colleagues, with your coworkers, whether you or I are right or wrong, it is the process of asking questions and critical thinking. Because we might get information tomorrow that's different, but we need to be able to use our critical thinking to use the faculties that we have been given to discern and pursue truth, to continue on that pursuit. And that is what keeps us from the ditches on either side, not to camp at one spot, but to use our faculties to continually pursue what is true. And the way that we do that is by talking, by asking questions, not to keep on asking questions, but to arrive at the truth because that is what unlocks and opens up our purpose. And if we can do that, we really can own the future.